Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. What the boss was trying to do was motivate the employee to get outside of her comfort zone and do her work. And you can see she was sort of shrinking in and playing solitaire most of the day, I'm sure. And there's no reward in playing solitaire. Um, so the, the boss wanted her to get outside of the zone and trying to motivate her, put it in a context where she'd understand it. I'd like to, before I dive into the message, I'd like to bow and pray. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we, we come to you, we welcome you here, we honor your presence among us. And I, I am so grateful for the path you've provided through Jesus Christ so that we could know you, relate to you. And I pray as we uh, meet that you'd speak to our hearts. And as we get into your scriptures, that you would, you would motivate us to do what really pleases you, that you'd be honored and pleased by everything. We, we, again, welcome you here and want to honor you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We, we've been in a series looking at breaking out of your comfort zone. Today, you know, today is a national holiday. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And so we have, you know, parties and things going on. There's commercials for the ladies who don't like football. And then there's food for everybody else who doesn't like football or everybody who does. So we've got the parties going and things are going on. And what we're going to see is a group of men, two two teams of men who have gone through a lot of pain to accomplish their goal of even being in that game. It, It hurts. To play football hurts. And uh, if, if you're an athlete at that level, you have knee problems, you have back problems, you have shoulder, you have every kind of problem. And you, you have to just be uncomfortable for a long time in order to reach that goal. And it's the same way in life, it's the same way in the Christian life. God's laid some things before us. He's given us some commands and an example to follow that stretches us. And that's one way we grow. I just want to look back over the things that we've been talking about in this series, uh, what God provides for our growth. First of all, he provides himself, his his spirit. I grow as I learn to depend on God and learn to cooperate with his spirit. As as I let him lead in the dance of life, that's one of the key ways that I grow as, as a person who's following Christ. I must rely on him to grow. This, this dependence is expressed through prayer. God, help me. I, I, God, I turn to you in the midst of what's going on here. I need, I need your help. I need your guidance. It's expressed through prayer, but that is a key. I grow as I depend on him. I also grow as I get connected to a group of followers who are, um, who are serious about following Christ, who encourage, support, challenge, who helped me avoid a wipeout. So I grow as I stay connected. And that usually takes work because uh, we want to disconnect. You know, sometimes there's frustrations, there's problems, there's, there's conflict. And the, it sounds like the rocket engine's about to take off. But um, I don't think that's a sign that what I'm saying is a problem. But I'm, so I'm just going to keep going on. Um, in this group of followers, if you connect with a group of people, you get audio visuals of, of what it's like to follow Christ. It really helps. You pull you along and helps you grow. So I grow 
as I stay connected and avoid a wipeout that way. I also grow as I let the truth sink in, as I get into the scripture, I let it sink in, and then I try to figure out how to live that out in my everyday life. That's a key part of growth. Abiding, staying connected to God's word, growing in it. I also grow as I turn to God in the middle of my trouble and let him shape me. Trouble is a fact of life. And if you've decided to follow Christ, either way, whether you've decided or not, you have trouble. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have trouble. We shouldn't be surprised by that. I found if you follow Christ, you cut down the amount of trouble you bring on yourself. And he doesn't waste the trouble that you go through. He takes it and he molds you and shapes you through it. So I grow as I let God turn the trouble into gold, as I rely on him to work in and through it. The pressure. Scripture says that suffering, which is the pressure God uses to, to mold me, to shape me, to make me a different person. Today we're going to look at how God gives growth as we step out of our comfort zone. Uh, the Dead Sea in Israel. I, I was there. It's dead because there's a river flowing into it, but there's no river flowing out of it. There's no outlet. And in our Christian lives, as, as we're trying to learn how to walk with God, a, a lot of times we're doing this. We're sitting here and somebody's teaching and we're soaking in teaching and we're learning and we're getting in the Bible trying to know about it. That's the inflow. There has to be an outflow in order to accelerate our growth. <clears throat> if there's no outflow, we don't grow uh, like we would. We die. We stagnate. And we die. The Dead Sea has a high salt content. I was in it once. I, I, I hopped in. You can float. It's so stagnant and dead and full of salt that you can float in it. Nothing lives in there. That's how it is in our Christian life. There, there has to be an outflow of the love and the things that we're learning. It has to translate into action if we're going to really accelerate our growth in Christ. And so that's what we're looking at today, and we're going to look at what God gives us to help this process along. Christ's followers have been given commands and an example that challenge us to break out of the comfort zone. I'm going to start with Matthew 22, 37 through 40. This is a passage where a lawyer comes up to Jesus and he wants to know, What's the greatest law in the Old Testament, first half of the Bible? What's the greatest law? And this is, Jesus has, of course, a brilliant reply. And this is what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on two on these two commandments. So the entire Old Testament, this is a summary. Love God and love people. This is a gigantic command. It's sweeping. It actually is a watershed statement that provides the framework for our lives. If you decide to follow Christ, if, if you're wanting to know <clears throat> what's involved, you may be on your way to commit your life to Christ. But if you want to know what's involved, 
love is at the core of the lifestyle that you're choosing if you decide to follow Christ. That's the framework. If we follow him, what we should be doing is trying to figure out in every situation as the flow of life passes by, situation after situation, circumstance after circumstance, relationship after relationship, we should be trying to figure out how do I love God in the middle of this and how do I love the person right in front of me? That's the definition of neighbor. Person right next to you. Person right in front of you. If you want to know who your neighbor is, it's the person right there that you're relating to right now. The one you're with at that time. As, as you handle the flow of life in your marriage, as a parent, as a roommate, on a project, in the office, that's the question that should dominate our thinking. That's the framework as to how we're to relate. We're to show love to God. We do that by learning what's important to him. Learning, we, we learn his laws to show love to him. Because in his law, he defines what it means to love him and to love other people. That's the heart behind his commands, his principles, his precepts. So what happens is, Jesus gives us this command to obey, and then he gives us an example to follow that we can't pull off by ourselves. I don't know about you, but I look at that and, and, and the example that Jesus said that we're going to look, look at in a little bit. I think, I, I can't do that by myself. Not only can I not do it, I don't want to do it. Honestly, natively, I don't want to do that. I don't want to love my neighbor as myself. I want them to do what I want them to do. I don't want to focus on what they need and love them that way. I just don't. So he gives us this command and sets an example that we can't pull off under our own strength. We need him. Jesus gets into a conversation with a woman in Samaria at a well. It's about noontime. He, he tended to do this. He got in conversations with people that were very controversial. Because in his heart, what was on his heart is relating to people who are lost to God, disconnected from him, Scripture says that everybody who, every one of us has sinned, we've rebelled, we've, we've gone our own way in life. We haven't depended on God, but we've tried to live life independent of him. That cuts us off from knowing him, and it means that we're lost to God. And so, on Jesus' heart, at the core of why he came to this earth, was to find people who were lost to God and reconnect them to him. And so he would talk to the party animals of the day, and he would go to parties and talk to them. Of course, he wouldn't partake in, in the, the wildness that was going on, but he wanted to connect with the folks that were there. He got a lot of criticism from the religious leaders of his day because he hung out there. But those people were on his heart. And, and you and I who have that bent, that direction, we're, we're on his heart as well. And so he got into these conversations with people like this, and this woman at the well was one of them. Jews didn't walk through Samaria. Jesus was on a trip with his disciples. Usually, Samaria, even if it was the straightest distance between two, two points on the map, a, a Jew would walk around Samaria. They hated Samaria, Samaritans. They just hated them. And so Jesus takes his disciples all, all the way through. He goes to this well. He sends his disciples to the city, to a little town or village, to get some food, and he goes to the well, and he gets in this conversation with a woman. And he, he, in the midst of this conversation, he starts 
talking about, he asks her for a drink of water. She has the tools. She can lower the bucket and get the drink of water. So I, I imagine she got him a drink of water. But he says, in the context of the conversation, he says, I have something that will quench your thirst forever. If, if you listen to me, accept me for who I am, I will give you streams of water that flow from the inside out that constantly are a source of refreshment to you. And she had had some struggles. She, he asked her about her husband. She says, well, I don't have a, a, a husband. Uh, and he, he knows, because he's God, that she's had five. And the guy she's living with now isn't her husband. And so she's struggling. She can't seem to make relationships work. This is the, this is the kind of person Jesus has a heart for. And so he's in this conversation. He's trying to explain to her, how she can connect to him and, and experience these streams of living water that, that flow from within her that give her the power and the motivation to do what she doesn't want to do. And that's the promise to his followers that he gives. He, he gives us this stream of little water. It, when you turn around from going your own way, commit your life, follow Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in. And from the Spirit, streams flow. To motivate us to love when we don't want to. To motivate when our well one runs dry. When our own natural desire to love and serve our neighbor like ourselves isn't there, we can tap into this. If we continue to depend on ourselves, it, it, it's still dry. But if we stop ourselves and, and depend on him, that stream is there. Now, there are things we can do to dam up the stream. There are probably, you know, we can disconnect from God. We can get in. We've been talking about the flesh, living life on our own power, our old ways, taking the same strategies toward life that we always have. We can do that. That dams it up. But when we catch ourselves, we can say, God, that, that comment, that thought, that, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? And whew, the streams flow again. God has given us what we need to do the command that he's given to love. It's not something we can do on our own. And Jesus had some specific things in mind when he was talking about love. Very specific ideas of how to love. He, he left an example we're going to look at in a little bit that clear, clearly spells out what he meant. The kind of love Jesus is talking about is not feeling good and positive about God and the other people around me. Just this ooey-gooey, I feel great about God and these people. It's not feeling-based, but it's very action-oriented. It's, it's something when, when we're with our neighbor, when we're with the people around us, it's love that turns into action that comes from the heart, comes from that stream of living water that's flowing in us that motivates us to do this. So let's look at our ultimate example. Jesus served to meet two kinds of needs. First of all, to meet practical needs. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So here it is. This is a core characteristic of a follower of Christ, love. 
And the disciples who were listening to this had no doubt as to what he meant by that. There was no way that they could misunderstand the kind of love he was talking about because he had just given them a demonstration. He had just washed their feet, which was a common practice in that culture. It was normal for a servant or the lowest-ranked person in the house to grab a towel, grab a water basin, and wash the feet of the people who came in from the outside. Now, we, we have shoes, we have manicured lawns, we, we have, you know, all, all kinds of conveniences. We have odor eaters that don't, don't work that great. You know, really, it kind of, okay, I won't go into that. <clears throat> I don't want to tip my problems off here. <laughs> um, and so they, they walked around, but, but, but we, so we have sort of ways of dealing with it, but they walked around in sandals in the dirt amidst camel droppings and other animal waste, and it was all mixed in with the dirt. It got on their shoes and on their feet. I was just in Fort Worth at a conference, went to a restaurant, and the fat stock show is going on in Fort Worth right now, a lot of cowboys bunch of trucks in the parking lot, just a bunch of big trucks. And we walked in, this, and I, just, I was just hit with the smell of cow manure on the boots of these cowboys because they've been at the livestock show. And, you know, it's really hard to enjoy your food when you got that. So I was, really, I was really hoping that we wouldn't be near a table of cowboys, and it worked out. It was pretty good. But, um, you know, that was a little taste of what it was like to to wash feet in this day, in Jesus' day. So that was common practice because their feet were, you know, walking in the dirt and sandals all day long to, for the lowest ranked person, to grab a towel and a water basin and wash everybody's feet. It wasn't normal for the teacher, for a respected leader, for God himself to do that. But Jesus did it. He grabbed the basin, grabbed a towel, and he began to wash all that junk off of their feet. And this morning as I was getting ready, I thought, that's like grabbing those cowboy boots, cleaning them up and shining them. Yeah, That's not a good job. But it's a prac- it was a practical need. That was a need. It was, it was very helpful. I'm sure it made the stay more pleasant after they washed their feet and took care of that. It was something that needed to be done. Jesus met that need. What an example. What a challenge for you and I as we see the needs around us to to take action to meet those needs. Jesus, in that, was defining what it means to love. It's to serve by doing what's needed. That's one way that we show love to the people around us. It's not based on feeling at all. It's, it's based on what needs to be done. And it's, it's, it's not something I really want to do, usually. But the dependence on God pulls me along. Another part of Jesus' love is to meet spiritual needs. And you go to Philippians 2, and you see uh, a passage that describes what Jesus did in dying on the cross. And it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Uh Uh-oh. 
Here it goes. Now, talk about a challenge. Here is a challenge that we are not going to be able to do on our own. It says, our attitude should be like his, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. His rights, his privileges as God, his rank, he did not hold on to that. But he laid it aside. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus served the entire human race by setting aside his rights and privileges, his rank, and meeting our spiritual need. We were cut off from God. We, we cannot know God in our natural state because we've all rebelled. And we needed Jesus to pay the penalty for that rebellion. We couldn't pay it ourselves. And so he took action. He stepped into the world and he laid aside all of his rank and rights and privileges of God and he humbled himself and served us in this way to meet these spiritual needs. So we're told to have that same attitude, not to focus on our own needs, our own wants, but to focus on the needs of others. What a challenge. What what a challenge to my native wiring. That, that really isn't easy. Jesus also said, John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then he, he did lay down his life. That's the way Jesus loved us. It's the same kind of love that we're commanded to show in the great commandment, that framework statement, that mountainous watershed statement that Jesus made. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. What a stretch. There is no way that we can do this on our own power. <clears throat> but as we connect with Christ, as we come to know him, connect with God through Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and moves into our heart and life, and he provides the power I need if I depend on him. If I rely on him, he'll give me the power. I run dry. I don't know about you, but I run dry. In relating to my family, my friends, my co-workers, others, I, I just run dry. I get irritated, frustrated, and selfish. And I, I don't really necessarily want to consider their needs and, and love them in this way. The Holy Spirit, that is the, he's the stream of living water that lives within. And he gives the power if I depend on him. Jesus... <clears throat> has given us the command that challenges and the example to follow that's challenging. And he motivates us to serve in love. Listen to Galatians 5. You, my brothers, you, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbors, let your neighbor as yourself. We have been called to be free. If you have decided to follow Christ, he has set you free from some things. If you haven't yet decided to follow Christ, he wants to set you free from some things. And one of the, the main things is he wants to set you free from expensive, burdensome religious rites and customs or even religious activity. 
where you feel like you have to earn God's favor and approval and acceptance. And in, in, innate in us is this sense that, wow, I've, I've done wrong. I've rebelled against God. I know I have a guilty conscience, and I've got to do something to make up for it. Jesus set us free from that. He set us free from the guilt of our sin, from the penalty of our sin. He paid the price on the cross. He has set us free from the law's demands and threats. You read the Old Testament and you find out what the penalty of sin is. It's death. We're cut off from knowing God personally. Jesus has set us free from the demands of the law. He satisfied its demands. He took the death that we deserved on himself, and that frees us up so that we don't serve any longer out of guilt. We don't have to. We do. We fall back into that, and we begin to dam up the stream of living water when we do. But we can serve out of love. There are two major motivations for serving, guilt or love. We have the freedom to serve out of love because we don't have to earn God's favor and approval any longer. He, he, what, what he does, and Jesus was showing us this in those conversations he had with the, the people that the religious people didn't really appreciate very much him talking to. He's showing us this, this is the heart of God, to meet people where they're at and help them take the next step in following him. This is what he does. He he. He meets us where we're at, and he deals with the guilt. He wipes the slate clean, and then we're free from law. We can serve out of love. It's like having a day off. You, you, you have a day off, and you can do whatever you want to do. You know, there's part of you that just wants to you know, lay on the couch and listen to some music or watch TV. But you decide that you're going to use that day to help a friend work on a project at his house. Not out of guilt or obligation or duty, but you, you just really want to do this to help. That's what it's like. That's how we should serve. That's the perspective that you find in this passage. Serve in love, out of love. Jesus has dealt with our guilt, and it sets us free to serve in love. His love and example motivates us to a couple of things. First of all, to serve like him. John 13, 15, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Uh, we, we're to serve one another. You get in Scripture, one of the things we're to do as believers is to serve one another. Our love for God shows up as we love the people he puts around us. It's a very practical way to show our love for, for God. And we're to love in practical ways the people around us every day. Um, I grew up in church. Spent a lot of time in the Bible, and I didn't connect this dot on my own. I uh, was the baby in my family, and let's say the world revolved around me. So I didn't connect this dot. But I got to college, and I met a guy who took the Scripture seriously, and he, he served. He served and he gave. And he set his own needs and stuff aside to, to serve me and the other people around me, and there was, and then, and then I began to connect the dots. Oh, I remember that passage. I remember that it talks about serving. And I, I just, I didn't think that really mattered. But what happens is, 
You, you decide to follow Christ. The Spirit comes in. He begins to motivate you to love. And as you step out to follow, inconvenience yourself to serve those around you, you hear this voice. Hey, great job. That, that was that way to go. You get encouragement in those right things. And there's a joy in serving that way that you begin to discover. That's not native. But in the stretch to inconvenience yourself, you find the encouragement. And you grow. You begin to grow. We also love God in another way, and that's by serving the church as a whole. There's two arenas. Our neighbor, the people around us, and then we serve our neighbor and others by just serving in the church body. We love God by working with a group of people to accomplish his purpose. And every person who serves at CIV, whether you're a group leader, uh, you know, one of the people helping the groups go, or a team leader or a team member, someone helping us get going here on Sunday mornings, you are a link in the chain of helping God fulfill his purpose for us as a, as a congregation, which is, at its core, to help lost folks to God, people who are lost to God, connect to him. And so we love God this way by pitching in and doing what he's asked us to do. And it, it accelerates our growth when we do it. It really helps us grow. I grow when I serve this way. And what God tends to do, this is what God does. We, we've been talking about how, well, last week particularly, we talked about how God is in charge of our training program. He sets the curriculum. Many times it's by the pressure in our lives, the trouble that we're experiencing. He sets the curriculum and he lays out the syllabus for our training. And as the flow of life comes along, he's doing this. He keeps putting you and I in situations where we have a choice between what I want and need and my rights and real love. And so we have to decide. That's part of our training program. If you choose real love by the power God gives you to do that, you grow. And you, you begin to ex- experience the, the power of God more and more and the freedom that God gives to do that. If you choose to step out of your comfort zone in love, you really grow. Another way that we uh, have an example, another way we're to um, love others is to share Jesus' message, to share the message about him. Um, Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is Jesus' statement about why he was on the earth. He came to find people who were lost to God, disconnected from him, to help them get reconnected. Jesus gave a command. The last, his last words before he left this earth, Acts 1.8. But you receive power. He's talking to his disciples, his followers. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, the streams of living, he's going to motivate you to share. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's face it. The first one, serve others in love, that's just inconvenient and not very comfortable. This one is scary. I don't know about you. I'm natively an introvert. And and this one, this when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witness. That scares me. That is scary. How, how am I going to do this? We're usually afraid um, that 
we're going to face rejection, we're going to turn people off, we're going to offend someone, we're going to be too pushy as we try to share this message. Um, we're, we're afraid that we're not going to have all the answers. If we really love people, these are the fears that we have. We love them. We want them to experience what we... We want them to have that stream of living water that's flowing from inside out. And we're afraid we're not going to be able to to connect them to God or explain how to get connected. We're, we're afraid we're going to turn them off. We have all kinds of fears. To, to meet practical needs is inconvenient. To share Christ's message is frightening because we're afraid of these things. The fact is, as you read the polls, 90% of all Americans believe in God. So that's a, that's a big part of the battle already won. It's already on the road. And I don't think they're afraid of having spiritual conversations. I think they're afraid of the Christians they've known or the Christians they've seen in the media. And so our role is to try to figure out how to share the message without scaring them off. They're a little afraid. You know, we've all been bought into them. Maybe not, but... One of the major ideas a lot of people have bought into is you don't talk about religion and politics because that's going to end the relationship right there. But they're, they're, that's not true. That's not my experience. I got to the point when I was about 19 or 20 where I decided, okay, I really want to learn how to share this message in a way that won't uh, offend people or put them off. And so I began to pray. I began to ask God, God, would you help me just with my neighbors, the people around me, would you help me begin to figure out how to do this? And I worked at Riverside Poly High at the time. I was a campus aide. They called me a narc. I wasn't a narc. I was, a, I was the guy that made you go to class, and I was supposed to do peer counseling. I was good at that part. One of my partners, Larry, he was the enforcer. He was good at that part of enforcing, making sure you went to class, you know, busting them when they did things wrong, and he was, he, was a, he was a big guy. He was intimidating. He had worked at Juvenile Hall. He was the toughest counselor at Juvenile Hall. And he kind of just this rough exterior, intimidating guy. And God laid it on my heart to try to figure out how to share the message with Larry. Here I am. I'm this introvert. Every time I even think about saying anything... There's a knot in my stomach, my mouth goes dry, and I just kind of start shaking. And so I, I start hanging out with Larry a little bit outside of work. Larry was really into bourbon and backgammon. And so we played a lot of backgammon. I didn't drink bourbon. I, I want to tell you, I didn't drink the bourbon, but I played a lot of backgammon, just getting to know Larry and hanging out with him. And I, I finally decided, okay, I've been hanging out a long time. Larry needs to know Jesus. I need to share this with him. So God, just help me to, to do this. And I kept waiting for the right exact moment, and it never came. And so I said, okay, God, I'm just going to do this. I said, Larry, do you, have you ever in your lifetime come to the point where you've committed your life to Christ as boss, or are you just not sure where you stand? And Larry said, no, I've never come to that point. And I said, I asked him, well, do, do you know what the Bible says is necessary to commit your life to Christ? He said, no, I don't. And then I said, Larry, would you like me to show you? I, it would only take two or three minutes to show you what God says about this. 
And he said, yes. And I, uh, first of all, I was dumbfounded. You know, I'm like, oh, he, he wants to hear it. What in the world? And um, so I, I had a booklet with me. And I, I, I'm, I'm reading the booklet. And I read through the booklet. That it, it contains the message. It's like a Reader's Digest conversion of the Reader's Digest version of the message of the Bible, Christianity, of Jesus' message. And so I'm reading through it, and I get to the end, and I said, Larry, is there anything keeping you from praying to commit your life to follow Christ right there? And he said, no. I was like, wow, really? I said, well, Larry, can you think of anything in your life right now that, that God would want to change if you were to commit your life to follow him as boss? And he said, yeah, I can. And he listed some things. He had an unhealthy relationship with a gal and the bourbon uh, and the other things. He drank a lot of bourbon. And so he listed some And I said, well, Larry, are you willing to give those things up? in order to follow Christ. And he said, yeah, I am. And then I'm really shocked. And Larry prayed a a prayer. He prayed right there with me to commit his life to Christ. And the streams of living water began to flow in him. He, He changed. This guy, just rough exterior enforcer guy, really began to change. He didn't need the bourbon any longer. The streams were flowing. He, he didn't, you know, he, he straightened out his relationship with the gal and got that straightened out. And he was a different person. My feeble attempts to share the message God used. We have to remember one thing. It says to be witnesses. We don't have to convert anyone. God does that work. He brings people to himself. We share the message. And help them come to the point where they're ready to accept it. And that's our role. That's what we do. That's the core of what you do. That's one way to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Share this message with them. Inconvenience yourself. Fight through the fear. Push through out of your comfort zone to include them, to try to include them in this kingdom. God will do his part. We can trust him to do his part. Our role is to care. To love enough to share the message. We're going to wrap up our um, message right now, and we're going to receive our offering in a few minutes. I'd like to ask you to fill out that connection card, and there's some ways you can respond to the message. That's why I'm asking you to do it now. We always try to have some steps you can take because Christian life is, is it's a, it's a sport. It's not a spectator thing. It's something we need to be involved in. And as you step out to follow God and break out of your comfort zone in these ways, uh, your understanding of following him grows. Really, when, when Larry came to Christ, I saw God work through me. And that, that encouraged me and, and brought a certain amount of growth that I hadn't experienced before. That's, that's the way we grow. We keep taking the steps that God lays on our hearts to take. Um, here are some things that we can do. I'd like to ask you, if you would, if you're a guest, fill out as much of that as you are comfortable filling out. If you're a regular, just your name and email would be great. But on the back, there are some ways to respond. Um, 
One, one way you can respond to this message is to memorize John 13, 15, which reminds you to follow Jesus' example to love people that way. And then another step would be, I will look for ways to love my neighbor this week. The definition of neighbor is person right next to you, person right in front of you. Uh, another way to, to take a step, another step you could take is, I want to love God by serving at CIV. Maybe God's been speaking to you here and you want to step out and help out, and this is a way you could do it. There's a way that you could just test what it's like to serve. We'd, we'd love to give you a shot and see if that's something you'd want to keep doing, but you could just try it and see. Or I plan to invite someone to the Lost series beginning next week. This is an, the, the easiest step in sharing the message is to bring people to a place where it's shared. And in the Lost series, what I'm really going to do with the Lost Message series is we're going to look at the heart and the mindset that helps you uh, handle your finances in a way that brings God's blessing. We're not going to necessarily look at how to manage them, but we're going to look at the heart behind what Jesus says to do. Because your heart takes you in a path, on a path that either helps you make progress or helps you go further into the tank. And so we're going to look at, we're going to look at how uh, God's given us a lot of help in that area. And that begins next week. That's one, one thing you could do. I'd also like to mention that the growth groups are a great way where all of these ingredients are mixed together to help us grow. And so if you haven't yet signed up for a growth group, we invite you to do that. There have been 138 people sign up so far. Uh, some of the groups are full and others are filling up. This this week and next week are the last weeks that you can do that. So that's that's a step you can take. Maybe it's a step out of your comfort zone, but it's a great way to 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 begin to grow as well. Would you pray with me as we wrap things up? Our Father, we thank you for your word that gives so much perspective and guidance to life. In our hearts, we want to wrap our lives around ourselves many times, but as we get outside of ourselves, as we peel ourselves out inside out and we break out of our comfort zone, life is there. That's what you said. That's where life is. Help us, God, to take the steps to really love you, to love the people around us, to serve and to share and to, to bring honor to you in this way and to find the life that you've promised. Help us to give it away so that we can find the life that you've given and promised to give. We ask for your power to take these steps, and we ask for your help in this. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.